My name's Chris. I'm one of the eldership team here at Freedom Church. I hope you all had a good Christmas and New Year. Uh, I had a good time, mostly a good time, wasn't it, with the family? We didn't leave Liverpool. And on some days, we didn't leave the house. And on those days, I really wanted to leave the house. Because <laughs> our kids were uh, literally intense, shall we say. But it was good fun. We had good fun. And has anyone got any New Year's resolutions this year? Anyone, anyone, anyone got anything they want to shout out, share? Go on, Guy. No caffeine. I thought you were looking especially grumpy this morning, Guy. That, that explains it. Anyone else? Anyone else giving anything up? No sugar. No sugar? Wow. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Anyone else? Any other New Year's resolutions? No fun. No fun? <laughs> Fair enough. Good luck with that as well. Mine, I mean, last year... Some of you will know I had a couple of New Year's resolutions. One was to give up meat for the year, which I did, pretty much, if you take a non-legalistic view of it. Um, <laughs> no, I did. I pretty much, I did. Deb, Debbie, Debbie gave me a pass on it. Um, I'm back on meat now, though, I'm happy to say. Uh, I also... <laughs> it was only for a year. Uh, I also gave up gluten for a lot of the year as well. And actually, I'm still, still off gluten. and It's been really good, actually. So I've, I enjoyed my New Year's resolutions last year. But over Christmas, my, I realised what my New Year's resolution needs to be for this year. And it came from my son, George. Because he actually said to me one day, he said, Dad, he, he got a bit frustrated at me. He was trying to get my attention. I was a bit distracted. And he, he said, oh, Dad, do you know what? If you're going to give up anything again this year, I think you need to give up your phone. You're always on it. I was like, ooh, ouch. Out of the mouths of babes. But do you know what? As I reflected, I, I am on my phone a lot. And sometimes it's for worthy, worky things. Sometimes it's really good catching up with people on WhatsApp and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's not all bad stuff that I do on my phone, obviously. But actually, often I am mindlessly just browsing websites, playing silly games, or, or frankly, just being a bit nosy and looking at other people's lives on social media whilst being oblivious to the life that's going on right around me in the flesh. And in fact, as I, as I thought about it and looked at it a little bit, I looked at some stats and Apparently, the, ad, the average adult in the UK will spend three hours on their smartphone every day, which if you do the maths, that's pretty much a whole day every week just spent on our smartphones. If you're under 25, which a lot of you are here, and congratulations to you, uh, it's more like four hours a day, four hours a day on your smartphone. Some of you might be sitting there saying, that takes more than that for me. Some of you might be saying, I haven't got a smartphone. What are you talking about? Well done to you. But actually, you know, this, the stat is that in the UK, if we're, if we're adult, we're probably spending three to four hours a day on our smartphones. So I've taken action for this New, Year, New Year's resolution. I've downloaded an app. <laughs> it might seem counterintuitive, but trust me, um, it sounds like giving up meat and then buying a job, a lot of steak, doesn't it? But honestly, this, this will work. It's, it's an app that's going to monitor my phone usage, and it will literally count the seconds that I spend on my phone and tell me when I'm overdoing it. And I can set limits on it. I can say, look, I don't want to spend more than this amount of time on my phone this week, and will you buzz when I, when I have, if I have. And actually, it's really helped me because I'm looking at the end of each day and thinking, okay, I've, I've overdone it today. I need to think about this. And it's really actually helping me, weirdly, to spend less time on my phone. So I'm trying. I'm trying this year to spend less time on my phone. What has this got to do with anything? Well, we're starting 2019 with a call to prayer, as Chris has already said. Um... And you know, together as a church, we believe that God has called us to a really, really exciting vision. But it's a vision that requires prayer, and lots of it. 
And you know what? In, in the UK in 2019, I don't think we've really nailed prayer. In fact, I don't know a single person that has ever said to me, do you know what? I'm really happy with my prayer life. I think I do more than enough prayer. I've, I've got a really healthy prayer life. I'm really, really happy with the amount of praying that I do. It's great. No one's ever said that to me. And I know I've never said it about myself. In fact, lots of people tell me that they struggle to fit prayer in. They struggle to find the time and the space to get close to God and to pray. And then when we go back to that statistic I've just shared about smartphones, when we look like we're spending three to four hours a day on our smartphones, and then at the same time we say, I haven't got time to pray. Something doesn't add up, does it? It's a bit laughable. We can allow three hours a day for looking at a five-inch screen, but we struggle, some, some of us, for more than five minutes of praying to our Father God. So I'm not so sure it's, a, it's an issue of time so much as an issue of passion and an issue of attention span. So this week, and today and next week, we really want to look at prayer. We really want to set a culture in Freedom Church Liverpool to be fervent and persistent in prayer. And it's not about beating you around the head with it and telling you what awful people we are, but we just want to really ram home the importance of prayer in everything that we do, everything that we do. And so you might be saying, okay, this, that's great, Chris, but why really? Why bother with prayer? What's so good about prayer? Why is it important? And here's just a few. We're going to look at a, a one specific Bible ch- uh, passage in a little bit. But here's just a few key Bible verses, which gives a hint as to why prayer really matters and it's a good thing. First is this, Proverbs 15, verse 8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. God wants our prayer. It pleases him when we pray. It's what he wants from us. He wants us to pray. He delights in our prayer. He doesn't tire of our requests. Like I got tired of my kids over Christmas at times. He doesn't get tired of us. He wants us to come to him and say, pray, pray to me. Ask me for what you want. Second, James 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You might be sitting there saying, who's a righteous person? Well, the Bible says if we're, if we're in Christ, we're all righteous. That means all of our prayers are powerful and effective. There's a reason for prayer, because it works. And when we pray, it works. Something happens. It matters that we pray. God wants us to pray, and when we pray, it is powerful and effective. That is a good reason to pray. 1 John 5, verses 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask him, we know that we have what we have asked of him. When we're praying, we're not just aimlessly talking to the sky. We're not just shouting words into the ether. Our prayers are heard. They're listened to. God hears everything when we're praying in accordance with his will. Another one, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What's important in that one, it's not about how holy you are. It's not about how clever you are. It's not about how, how good you are. It's about how humble you are. God doesn't need you to be a special person, a special, clever, holy, really, really um, committed person to pray. He just says, humble yourself. Just be humble enough to come to me and say you need me. Be humble enough to come to me and I will hear and I will answer. And Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do you know, prayer is good for anxiety. I say that as an anxiety sufferer, and somebody who struggles with anxiety, 
I wouldn't say that prayer has cured my anxiety, but you know what? Flipping helps to go to God and say, God, ah, oh, this, is, this is really, I'm really struggling with this, God. I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. This is really stressing me out. And to just go to God and just pour it all out at him. It helps. It is a, it is a, it is a help. These are all really good reasons to pray. So hopefully, I hope you agree, just, just in those five or six verses, there's some excellent motivation to pray. The, Bible's tell, the Bible tells us that our prayers please God, that they are heard, that they matter, that they're effective, that anyone can offer prayer, and that they help with our anxiety. And what is not to like about prayer? These are all good, good reasons to pray. I want to look in particular at one passage this morning, just, just as a as we look at the, we've looked at the why, why pray, this is about the how. This is about the, okay, what does prayer look like? And we turn, to, turn with me to Matthew <coughs> chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. It's up on the screen if you want to follow it there. Jesus says this. These are the words of Jesus himself. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think there's lots of things for us to learn in this very brief passage from Jesus on prayer. It's part of a Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of his greatest discourses, greatest sermons. Um, and there's so much just in these four verses that we can pick out. And the first thing is this. Jesus tells us to ask. Verses 7 and 8 really stick out. That Jesus really wants to ram this home in and, and make sure we get it. It seems like in verse 7, he's saying the same thing in three different ways. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. It seems like he's saying the same thing in kind of three different ways. If we ask God for things, we'll get them. And as if to emphasize it even further, he basically repeats it in a slightly different phrasing in verse 8. Again, those who, those who seek will find. Those who ask will receive. All that. He says it again. Just, just, just to say, look, this is important. You need to get this. But on close inspection, I think he's actually saying three different things about prayer here. Ask, seek, and knock. On, on the, if, you, if you just look at them and skim, you, you'd say he's just saying the same thing three times. Actually, I think there's th- three di- very different types of prayer here. The first one, ask, is simple enough. Is there something we need? Is there something we're lacking? Is there something we want? Do we know what it is? Then the instruction is simply to ask God for it. Ask God for it, and he'll provide. And by the same token, the implication is that if we, if, if we don't ask, then we may well be missing out on things which God would happily give us if we only ask. Prayer is effective, remember? Prayer makes something happen. And so if we don't pray, there are things that might not happen. So it's very simple and common. But it's an important principle, this asking. We know what we want, we ask God for it. That is saying that we're relying on God and not ourselves. We're not proud. We're not saying, I can do this in my own strength. I can do this myself. I know what I need. I'll just get it myself. Actually, we're saying, no, God, I need this, and I know you've asked me to ask for it, so I'll ask you. I want to rely on you. And that is exactly how God wants it. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be our healer. He wants to be our source of strength. He wants us to rely on him and not our own strength. And in, in Freedom Church, we've had examples where we've had a very definite need. and We've asked God for it and we've seen him come through again and again. I can think of 
three or four instances where we've had really serious illness in the church. We've had cancers in the church. And we've just said, God, we're only asking for one thing. We want healing. We want these guys to be cancer-free. Ian, Fee, Ronnie, even Chris with his, his ongoing condition. These guys have come down with awful illnesses. And we've just, we've just <laughs> said to God, God, you know what we need. We know what we need. We're asking you for We can't do anything about this. Will you help? Will you do something? And all four of them, healthy, cancer gone, absolutely fine. They've had the surgery. They've had the cancer disappeared. It's all good. Very simple. We know what we need. We ask God for it. He's done it. Now, it does beg an obvious question, which I will come back to later, I promise. Why do we sometimes ask and not receive? There'll be more of that later. But this, the simple principle on that ask is ask God for what you know you need. And he hears us and, and he will answer. The second thing, seek. Seek and you will find. I think it's a little bit different from that first one of asking and knowing what we need. It's more than that. When you ask someone for something, all you need is, the, is to know what you're asking for and the ability to communicate with that person. Seeking is a bit more strenuous, I think. Actually, you might need to find the person first in order to establish that contact. And it implies a bit more work and a bit more effort. But actually, there's something about this seeking. There's an implication here that it's not always as simple as asking God for what we know we need and getting it. Sometimes it's about seeking God first and asking him, just trying to discover what his heart is for us and then asking him to deliver it. Does that make sense? So key one, for example, Freedom Church Liverpool this year, we know we have a vision as a church to establish a hub, to start looking towards other parts of the city, to have a building, an office, a place where we can, we can roll out social action projects, we can, we can gather together, we can have offices, we can push into further parts of the city and go multi-site. We know we've got that as our vision. But actually, in terms of how we do it, when we do it, where we do it, we haven't got a flipping clue. We don't know. We know that's what we're called to, but we don't know how it's going to happen. And so... That is, I think, where we seek God. We know the what, but we don't know the when, the where, the how. And it's not as simple as just saying, God, will you give it us? Actually, we need to seek him out. God, where do you want us to be? When should we do it, God? How will we find these resources, Jesus? Who's going to do this bit? How, how do we do this? Do we go for this? Do we go for that? Do we push that door? And these are quite scary, exciting prayers to be praying together. We're seeking God together. It's not just a case of God, here's my, here's my shopping list, give us it. It's God. What do you want? Will you help us find it? It's really important. It's a different thing from just asking. But it's a very, very important part of prayer. And again, I can think of examples back in, in our church. I look at the Calcraft family, for example, when they got to a point where, where Pete was commuting to Manchester every day, a long slog of a commute to Manchester, and saying, I, I don't know what to do. Do we, do, we, do we need to leave Liverpool? Do we need to move over to Manchester? Because there doesn't seem to be a job in Liverpool. Do we, do we go? Do we stay? Do we check out Manchester? There's even day when they, they were on a motorway to visit a church in Manchester um, to see could they settle in that area. And God, literally Pete felt God say to him, turn the car around, I don't want you to go there today. And then as they kept seeking God, saying, God, what do you want us to do? to do? Where do you want us to be? Eventually, out of almost nowhere, a job came in Liverpool that they could have and they could stay and put down roots. And they knew very clearly that God, this is where God wanted to be. But for a long time, he didn't know. Where, where are they going to be? They had to seek God. And their friends and family as the church, we gathered around and we sought God together. God, where do you want these guys to be? And he answered. But it took time and it took seeking. It took asking. And it's a very important part of our prayer lives as a church. The third one, we've got ask, we've got seek, we've got, now we've got knock. The final of Jesus' instructions is to knock. And again, this isn't a simply asking 
or, or even seeking. Rather, this paints a, a, a picture of a situation where actually we face a closed door. We face something that needs opening in order to move forward. And this may not open up at the first time of asking or the first time of knocking. Do you know what the easiest thing is about prayer? Giving up. The easiest thing to do in prayer is to give up. It's the easiest thing to do. It's like knocking on a door and running away before you even have a chance for it to be answered. Well, the instruction is not knock on the door and then think if it's not answered, I'll just walk away, I better leave it. Actually, now we're instructed to knock, knock, knock. And the promise is that in time, it'll be opened. It doesn't promise immediate opening, but it does promise opening. And you know, this, this verse is probably best read, uh, read in light of another of Jesus' teachings. He, he teaches a parable, a parable of the persistent widow. I'll just read it to you. It's in Luke, um, Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. He says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what that unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. For the widow in that story Persistence was needed. She didn't get it at the first time of asking. It says after some time. It says uh, for some time this guy refused. But she kept hammering away. She kept running after him. She kept chasing him saying, I need this. Grant me justice. And eventually, eventually he granted it. I think that story is there for a reason. I think sometimes that is the journey we go on in prayer. We knock. We persist. We pursue, and we don't always get the answer straight away. But we keep going, and we keep hammering, and we keep going. And God will sometimes turn around and open that door. Sometimes our prayers are answered immediately. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, years, decades. And we can either give up, or we can keep knocking. I'm reminded of a time back in our church in Leeds where we were in desperate need of a new venue. Uh, we were meeting in a, a school at the time, um, but it wasn't really suiting our needs. It was out in the sticks. It was it was difficult to get to, and there were some tensions with the school. And I remember Chris feeling quite clearly that God had spoken to him about this building, which was in a perfect location, a different, a different place, uh, right near the city centre, right near the university, right near a building which actually we were on our way to buying. And um, he ran them up, felt that God was in it, and asked them, and they said no. Now, the easier thing to do is say, well, they said no, that's the end of that. But Chris just kept feeling this nagging sense that, no, this is, this is where we need to be. So he rang them again, and they said no. And how many times in the end, Chris, was it? Five, six? Something like five or six times. At different times during that year, he went back to them and said, can we use your building? They turned around and said no for whatever reason. And then eventually, we literally got thrown out of the school we were in. But I won't go into the reasons, but we got thrown out. Chris, Chris misbehaved or something like that. Um, and we were in desperate need for a new building. 
And Chris said, you know what, I'm going to try that school again. And he rings them up and say, yes, you can meet here. You can move here, that's fine. The sixth or seventh, the fifth or sixth time I asked him, the headmaster changed in between the last, yeah, so, but something had happened. He knocked and he knocked and he knocked. The easiest thing was to walk away the first time and say, well, they've said no, and that's the end of it. Sometimes we have to keep going and keep asking and keep knocking. Sometimes God works like that. It sounds strange, doesn't it? Why would, why would, he, why would he say no the first time and then say yes later? That's how God works sometimes. And he, his timing is perfect. Again, I've said this before. I'm reminded of something that I was taught uh, by a, a UCCF worker back in university. And he said, God's never late, but he misses a lot of opportunities to be early. You know, his timing is perfect. We might knock several times and we might not get the answer, but eventually when the timing is right, God acts and the door is opened and you have to keep going. And that's a discipline that we need to learn as a church. And there'll be times this year when, when things fly open for us and there'll be other times when we've really got to knuckle down and pray hard together and keep seeking God and keep pressing in, keep pressing on, keep asking. But I believe that's a discipline that is taught to us that we need to, uh, we need to get to get to get familiar with so asking seeking knocking can you see the three different things but they're all vital they're all important in our prayer lives as a church the second thing to get from this passage this matthew 7 is that god wants us to be childish in our asking it sounds a bit strange doesn't it after outlining three different types of prayer jesus gives us another model of prayer and that is be like kids i'll just go back to the passage <clears throat> Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, again, for me, Christmas this year actually wasn't that restful. I had a lovely time, but it wasn't always that restful because I've got a house full of kids. And Debbie. And I've got three kids, seven and under. <laughs> I've got three kids, seven under, seven, four, and one. And boy, do they know how to ask in very different ways. Now, George has mastered the emotional guilt trip. He's seven years old. He knows how to tug at my heartstrings and make me feel awful, like he did with my mobile phone. And he knows how to get, get under my skin and, and get what he needs. Chloe has mastered the art, and it is an art of the tantrum, <laughs> of the completely unreasonable meltdown which just absolutely wrecks your head until eventually, just to shut her up, you might give her what she wants. Often she doesn't get what she wants, by the way. We're not that terrible parents, but she does know how to throw a good, a good strop. And Jacob, Jacob, Jacob can't speak yet, apart from a couple of words, but he knows how to ask. He knows. I mean, yesterday, he, he suddenly toddled into the lounge. He'd been in the kitchen cupboard, grabbed a tube of Pringles and walked into the lounge and went, ah, 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 ah. Like, he knows how to ask. He knows where the Pringles are. <laughs> I say Pringles, they were Aldi stackers, but, you know, that's a minor detail. Um, I don't want to lie to you this morning. I don't want to lie to you. Um, <laughs> but he knows how to ask. He knows how to stand in a room without any words and just know, he knows how to, how to tell you that he wants something. Our kids know how to ask. And flipping out, they're persistent, aren't they? They don't, they don't take no for an answer easily. They'll sulk or they'll scream or they'll just keep on asking. And you know what? The reason they do that is because they know that they depend entirely on us to provide what they're asking for. They know, for the most part, that the only way they're going to get what they want 
is if we provide it for them. So even with the, the tube of Pringles slash Spackers, Jacob knew where it was, but he didn't know how to open it. And he knew he needed us. And so he came to us and he demanded and asked and asked and asked because he knew that's, that's where it was going to come from. And that's how it should be with us. We should know that the only place we're going to get what we need is God. The only place. He's the, he's the Almighty One. He is the provider. He is the one with the whole of heaven and earth at his disposal. He is the one who can do it. He is the one who can do the impossible, the incredible, the unlikely, the things that we look at and say, that's not going to change. How can I do this? We can't, but he can. And our kids know that about us. Do we, have, do we know that about God? Mike Betts, who's uh, a New Frontiers apostle in a different sphere, um, he's written a book, and there's a chapter in prayer, or on, in that book on prayer, which is one of the best 10 pages you'll read on prayer anywhere. And he says this, prayer is about tugging on the sleeves of our Father in heaven until he gives us what he's asking, what we're asking for. You know the way kids just tug on the sleeve, come on, will you just give me it? We need to tug on the sleeves of our Father in heaven. God, I need this. I want this. Will you do it? I'm not going to let go of your sleeve. And we see Jacob wrestling with God in Scripture, don't we? We're not going to let go, God. You've told us to ask. You've told us that our prayers are effective. So I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on tugging away. Because I know that it's you who's the one who can provide it. God wants us. He longs for us to depend fully on him. Like a child depends fully on their parent. He's instructed us to pray. And he expects and anticipates us to do it with vigour and regularity and even being a bit annoying. That's okay. We can pester God. We can annoy him. We can say, God, come on. I know I only asked you this morning. I'm going to ask you again. I want you to do it. That's what God wants from us. Don't be afraid to be like a child in our prayers. The final thing is this, and I, I said I'd come back to this. Understand, so the last part, the last verse says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And I said, look, the reality is sometimes we ask and we don't get it. Or we don't get it yet. Sometimes we, we pray earnestly to God and say, God, I need this, I want this. And we don't get the answer we want. And that's the tricky part. It's the elephant in the room about prayer, isn't it? What about those things that we pray for with all our might, that we ask, we seek, we knock, and we don't get it? You know, God has made us countless promises in scripture and his delivery method is prayer i think i've said before god does not want us to settle for anything less than what he's promised us he doesn't want us to settle for anything less than what he's promised us if if he's promised it he expects us to ask for it and to get it so if there are promises of god that are unfulfilled in our lives then we should really be tugging at his sleeves and saying come on god when Deliver your promise. You've promised it. You've promised it in scripture. You've promised it in prophecy. You've promised it in a word to me. Whatever it is, if I, if I know you've promised it, God, I'm going to ask you for it. I want you to deliver it. You've promised it. And we shouldn't be letting go. That's the model he set. Be like children. Pester God to do what he's promised. Mike Betts again says this. If it lies in the future, then our job is to lay hold of God who made the promise and say, God, you're enough. And you've not promised anything you can't deliver. So enough of it. Do it. Prayer is asking God to do what he said he will do. God, I'm not coming back again. I'm quite sorry, I am coming back again because if you didn't mean it, you shouldn't have said it. And I'm not letting go until you bless me. 
sounds quite stark, doesn't it? But if God's promised it, then we should be asking for it. If God's promised it, then it's good and we should ask for it and we should expect it. So what does that mean then when the God who makes us promises and wants us to pray for them doesn't seem to answer? Is that God breaking his promise? Is God a liar when it comes to prayer? When he says, pray, ask, your prayers are effective, and then we ask and we don't get them? I don't think it is. And here's why. Verse 11, so as I've just read, if you, if, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, the key is that phrase, good gifts. It's important because what we determine, what we decide are good gifts, might not be good gifts in God's eyes. God is the ultimate arbiter of good. God is good. It is God who decides what good is. He defines what good is. Only he truly knows with the benefit of the entire view of eternity what is good for us, when it is good for us, and when it isn't good for us. And so sometimes what can feel like painful, unanswered prayer and a broken dream can just be ultimately another part, another small part of an ultimately huge and good plan to God. He encourages us to ask and to seek and to persist in prayer, but he wants us to be tuned in with him about what we're asking for and to understand that he is the ultimate authority. If we decide that God is wrong and that, we, and that he should be giving us something when we ask for it and, then we, and, and that if he doesn't, that he's wrong, then we're basically undermining our whole view of God and who he is. We're telling him that he's wrong and we're right. And a God that's wrong when we're right is not a God worth praying to, is it? I don't want to be praying to a God who I think I know better than. I want to pray to a God who's the ultimate authority, who's the ultimate wisdom, ultimate good, because I trust him. And you, you can't say on one hand, God, I, I ask you for this, I trust you for this. On the other hand, say, no, God, you're wrong. You haven't given me it. Actually, by praying to God, we're, we're putting ourselves under his authority. And God, I trust you. I'm asking you for this. And I understand that if it doesn't come straight away, that you know best. Do you, do you see that? Do you understand that? A God who gets it wrong is not a God worth praying to. In praying at all, we are humbly submitting to God and saying, you are greater. I can't, but you can. Please help me. I submit to you. And we acknowledge that God is wiser and more powerful than us. And therefore, we must accept his answer, even if it's not what we hoped at the time, even if it takes longer than we think it should. God is right. God is good. And it's him who determines what a good gift is. You know, it's interesting. Jesus never, ever taught anyone how to preach. Never. But he taught people how to pray. It was important to him. And in chapter 6, just before this passage we're looking at this morning, he teaches the famous Lord's Prayer. What we we know as the Lord's Prayer. And central to that prayer, I believe, pivotal in that prayer, are those words, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus puts that front and centre in the Lord's Prayer. As we pray, we're not asking for our will to be done, we're asking for his will to be done. And that's a huge statement. 
That's a huge statement of faith in who he is. It's a huge statement of, of um, putting ourselves under his authority. We're saying, God, you know best. Whatever your will is, will you bring it about? I'm going to ask you for things. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to knock. I'm going to ask you for the things that I think are in your will and that I think are good. But ultimately, I put myself under you. And I trust you and I, I ask you to deliver your will because actually I know that your will is the best thing for me and the best thing for this world. Now that might look very different to how we want our lives to pan out. Sometimes God's will and God's good gifts and God's plans for our lives look different to what we might have chosen. But it is what Jesus teaches us to pray for. And he is faithful to answer. It's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? But I believe this is something we learn over time through prayer. That we tune into God's will. Through studying the scriptures, through praying regularly, through spending quality time with him, we get the sense of what he wants. And we learn to pray in line with it. Our heart starts to want what his heart wants. And we start to ask in line with him. It doesn't mean it's wrong to ask for things that, you, that are on your heart. But you have to understand that it might not be what's on God's heart. Okay. So challenge this year. As we hit this week of prayer, it's not just to be a week of prayer, it's to be a lifetime of prayer. We hit it this January. What can I ask of you this morning? What do you want to take away this morning? Let me ask you this. What do you want to see happen this year? What is on your heart for this year? Is it something that God's promised you? And are you willing to ask and seek and knock for it? Are you willing to spend the time? Are you willing to put down your smartphone or whatever it is that distracts you for three hours a day? Are you willing to put the time in and go for it with God and seek him and to tug on his sleeve and say, God, I need you this. I need you for this. I can't do it myself. Ask yourself as you... Uh, uh, just just uh, yesterday, Debbie passed me an envelope, which was... We did it with our life group at the very uh, start of 2018. We wrote down a list of things that we wanted to see happen, things that we wanted to pray for this year. And we sealed it up, and the idea was look at it for the start of 2019 and see what God did. And I opened it up, and you know, it was really helpful. There were some things that I haven't seen happen yet, but there were lots of things on that list. I was like, wow, God, you did that, and then some. And all the things that he did were things that were like, yeah, these are good gifts. These are things that actually, yeah, of course God delivered on that. And if you're in my life group, I've got your envelope at home. You can have a look and see, see what you prayed for last year. Um, I haven't opened it, by the way. I haven't looked. Uh, Debbie's got them somewhere. But you know what? Why not at the start of this year, make a list. Think about what, what's on your heart. Think about what you want to see happen this year. And then really look at it. Really challenge yourself. Is this just my own personal shopping list? Is this just, just what's going to make my life better? Is this, just gonna, is this just what I want in a worldly sense? Or actually... Can I look at this and say, do you know what, that is a good thing that I think God would want me to pray for, that God would want me to ask for. Is this in line with his will? Am I putting myself under him? Am I putting myself under his authority and going for that? And you know what, I'll leave you with this, this challenge. Do you really believe that prayer is powerful and effective? The ultimate test of that is whether you pray or not. Because if you believe prayer is powerful and effective, then surely you will pray. Surely I will pray more. Because if it's not powerful and effective, then what's the point? It means the Bible is lying and there's no point doing it. I don't think the Bible is lying. I believe our prayer is powerful and effective. So that should mean that should, that should mean a response. 
That should mean I pray. And I make time for it. And I spend time for it. And I prioritize it. I'm not talking about hours and hours a day. It doesn't have to be a set time even. But it should be high on my list of priorities. I believe that prayer is powerful and effective. And of course, surely I should be spending good quality time doing that. And that's what we're going to do this week. We've got some prayer meetings in the diary. But I'm also going to be sending out daily by email a prayer journal, some ideas of things to pray for. And I just encourage you, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, have a look at what's in those, in those lists and pray. Spend time because as we lay hold of God together, if we tug at his sleeve together, he will do things. And it's the only way that we're going to fulfill a vision that God has set out for us is by asking God to fulfill it for us.